Holly, thank you, Holly. I appreciate that wonderful introduction. And, and when, when I heard that, oh, after 25 books, a lot of those books are really short books, so don't be too impressed. <laughs> but uh, one little-known secret uh, about uh, me is actually that in our household, my husband is the decorator. He is the one that drags me to the furniture stores and says, oh, Weir's is having a sale. Let's go. And I'm, I'm like, oh, do we have to really? I mean, <laughs> he's the one who drags me there. So uh, on one occasion while we were going to look for a couch and we went into this big old furniture store and there I, we are, he goes off to look at couches and I'm thinking, what, what am I going to do while I'm here? How am I going to occupy myself? And I, I know that's odd for some of you who are big decorators. It's just odd, but I, I, I'm, I'm very thankful. If it were up to me, my house would look awful. <laughs> I'm thankful for his gifts. But as I was, as he went off to look at couches and I looked over to my left and I saw a big pile of pillows and all the pillows had uh, quips and little statements on them and I thought okay that's what I'll do I'll read pillows while he's off buying couches and so I, I found this one pillow and I walked up to it and there it was it said mom M-O-M I thought oh what does it say under it how does it describe moms and so I went up to it there it is mom M-O-M Manager of messes. I, I am so disappointed with this pillow because, really, honestly, we are so much more than managers of messes. Yes, granted, yes, we are managers of messes. Okay, that is a part of it. But that's not all that we are. That does not describe moms. I think some man wrote this pillow. If, I, if they had asked me to write this pillow, I would have said, Mom. M-O-M Molders of Mankind (laughs) Because that's what we are We are molding and shaping The next generation Through our words Through our actions Through our examples We are making an impact On society We truly have one of the most important roles in this world as we mold and make and impact the next generation. Now, that's a heavy-duty calling. And the weight of that can sometimes actually uh, feel pressing upon us, especially when we think about our words and the impact our words have on our children. Now, I want us to think, not only do our words impact our kids as we pour into them and give them words of encouragement as opposed to, to words that might tear them down, not only does our, do our words have impact in that way, but our words have an impact in our, through our example. How we use our words makes a difference. Our kids are learning how to communicate with others as they watch it done in our lives, as they see how to communicate. They are observing, observing how we use our words. And this is teaching them through example how to communicate, how to communicate with their spouse, how to communicate with their friends, how to communicate with their bosses, 
They are learning, learning as they watch our example, how we use our words. So our words are important and that's why we're going to deal with it today as we are molders of mankind, as we're molders of the next generation, we recognize the significance of what comes out of our mouths makes an impact on that next generation and on society. So we want to think about it deliberately. And we want to examine the truth about what we say and how we say it. So uh, the first thing we want to do is go to Scripture and say, what does Scripture tell us about our words? What is the truth about our words? And I want to highlight three, three important truths that the Bible teaches us about our words. And you'll see on your handout, we have a little place to fill in a few blanks there. And so as we look at our words, what does the Bible have to tell us? Well, first of all, the first thing... I want us to look at, and I'm, I'm going to be looking in James, and you might even want to jot this down, in James, James, the third chapter, and you can go back and read it later, but I'll, I'll read it right now, because this is the first thing that, that the Bible teaches us about our words, and I'm going to preface it by saying, as your teacher today, I am a fellow struggler. I in no way am standing up here saying, I've got, I've got it all together as far as my mouth. I'm so perfect, and I'm going to share everything I know with you. Ha! Huh, no. I'm coming as a fellow struggler. And I say that because as I start reading this, you're going to, be, you're, you're going to know that I needed to say this. Because the very first words in, in James 3 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble. So if you were thinking that you were the only one that's tripped up by your words, here James today, he says, We all stumble. The teacher stumbles, we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil ah, among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Well, this is pretty much a downer, isn't it? (laughs) What hope is there? All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, now, wasn't that a positive way to start? (laughs) 
Well, in a way, it is a positive way to start because two things I learned from this. One is that I'm not alone, that the tongue is difficult to tame. And that's what your first, your first blank there says. It's difficult to tame our tongues. That's just a truth. It's a truth from God's Word. It is difficult to tame these tongues. And in fact, James says, no man can tame it. Now, you might hear that and think, well then what, what, what hope is there? It didn't say, no God It didn't say God couldn't tame it. With God, all things are possible. Oh yeah, the tongue is difficult, nearly impossible to tame. No man can tame it. But God, but God. Because our tongue is difficult to tame, the beauty in this passage makes us realize that we need to rely on God. It draws us to Him. It makes us recognize our need for Him. What a beautiful passage. What a positive passage. It makes us realize we're not alone in this struggle. But it's nearly impossible to tame it. But with God, all things are possible. That we, because our tongues are difficult to tame, must rely on the Lord and look to Him for our help. So it's a beautiful passage, really. Let's look at what else, what other truths we learn from Scripture about our tongues. I take you to Matthew now, if you want to jot down Matthew 12. Matthew 12, 34 and 35. And Jesus is actually talking to, to the Pharisees here and He says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So the truth we learn from Matthew 12 is... What is in our heart, that's your your blank there on number two, what is in our heart overflows into our words. What's in our heart overflows into our words. I saw this example many years ago when I was a young mom. And it still rings in my eyes, my ears, my thoughts today. That what we have in our inside will spill over into our life through our words. So I have here a cup of hot coffee. And it's in a lovely mug. It's beautiful. But when something bumps up against it, it spills over. And ow! Hot coffee burns. It stains. It leaves an indelible stain often. If we could equate that with maybe some of the not so great things in our lives, perhaps bitterness and anger that we have allowed to store up in our hearts instead of getting rid of, instead of forgiving. We've allowed bitterness and anger to to grow we fed we feed on things that are unhealthy 
I'm not talking about food here. I'm talking about things that we feed into our mind. We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. But we're feeding on unhealthy, angry thoughts, worrisome thoughts. And when we're bumped up against, it spills over into our lives and it actually spills over on the people around us. But on the other hand, when we fill, when we are filled with good things, when we are filled with refreshing, living water that cleanses and heals and quenches the thirst, when life bumps up against us, what spills over is good and beautiful and refreshing and healing. As we bless others, even when we go through struggles. I am blessed today. I I had a wonderful surprise this morning as I was walking in this morning. A sweet friend of mine, Jen, is here today. Jen has been through major life challenges. And I I hope that you all have a chance to meet her before she leaves. She's a, a wonderful person. But when life bumped up against her, throwing her a major challenge, she she looked at how how can God use this? What what good can come from this? This is not what I chose for my life. But what can I do? I'm blessed to know Jen and to see that when. What spilled out of her was good blessing and blessing, and she is blessing other people through her life tragedy. I wrote about her in my book, Thrive. I, 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 she's, she's an amazing, wonderful person. I'm so thankful to know her. So I hope you get to meet her when you're, uh, while you're here. Life happens. What, ha- what, what we have on the inside spills over. And it spills over many times through our words and through our actions. So we want to consider carefully what we are filling our life with. And when we fill our life with the goodness of the Lord and the beauty that He gives us, when we fill our lives with living water, oh, what beautiful things spill over. Because the fruit of His Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How beautiful is the woman who overflows with His goodness. So we're going to talk about practical ways to do that as we, as we journey together this morning. But thirdly, the third truth, the third truth I want us to grab and understand from Scripture is words have a powerful effect. And, and you see that in number three there. Number three, words have a powerful effect. We can't ignore it. They do stain. Or they heal. Proverbs is full of, of teaching us about the power of our words. Listen to just a few Proverbs and hear the results. Hear the results of our words. Proverbs 12. An evil man is trapped by his sinful talk, but a righteous man escapes trouble. From the fruit of his lips a man is filled with good things, as, as surely as the work of his hands rewards him. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 
One brings injury. One brings healing. He who guards his lips guards his life. But he who speaks rashly will come to ruin. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life. Hear this word, this, this flow, this, this uh, water analogy. The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. A fool's talk brings a rod to his back, but the lips of the wise protect them. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Look at the power of a gentle word, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Our words have an effect. A wise man's heart guards his mouth, guides his mouth, and his lips promote instruction. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul, and healing to the bones. I have a feeling every single one of you wants to be that mom that brings healing and refreshing water to her family. I have a feeling that's your heart. And yet you know you struggle. I do too. We all struggle. It was the first truth we learned, that we all struggle. Not one of us in this room can say, I got it made, I got a lick on that tongue, and I know exactly I've got complete control. So we're all in this together. And we know what we want. And we know the results. We know the results, the beautiful results of healing words. So today, let's take a deliberate look. And let's make some steps forward. I will not be able to cure your tongue problem. But I hope I bring you to the table of where you can find that strength and healing and hope. I hope that today you'll walk away knowing, yes, yes, I can turn the corner and go in a new direction because I am not alone. I have a God, a powerful God, who is at work in my life. And I am deliberately choosing to follow Him. I am deliberately looking at the consequences of my words. And I am turning a new direction. So, let's look at three different areas. Uh, you'll see on your handout three different bubbles there. Three different, I, I, I called it messages from moms, but really what I mean is kind of arenas. There's three different arenas that I chose for us to look at because uh, just like a three-ring circus, there are three different areas, and sometimes we do feel like our life is a three-ring circus as a mom, but there's three different areas that we, uh, we want to examine. As a mom, there's many different areas that our words flow out of us, but these are three as a mom that I want us to deliberately look at and consider, and I want to give you some ideas, some hopes, some help, some thoughts. So let's look at the first one. The first one, I put down kindness versus cruelty. You know, I think about the Proverbs 31 woman, whom we all love and, uh, and admire, but the Proverbs 31 woman, that description of the perfect woman, the perfect wife. Ah, 
that, that we can look at it and model her and look at her as an example. But one of the things it says about her is the law of kindness is on the tongue. The law of kindness is on her tongue. Kindness is not something only that we do with our hands, but kindness is something that we do with our mouths, and it begins in our hearts. Kindness is a quality of God. It's one of His attributes. He is kind. And He wants us, His Spirit within us, can make us kind. And when I think about kindness, I think about kindness with our words about people, even behind their back. Our kids learn to be kind as they observe our kind tongue and our kind actions. We want our kids to be kind kids, don't we? I don't know one of you in this room that wants a cruel child. I think every single one of you will hope and pray that your child, your children grow to be kind and loving and they will learn it from your example because your example is always clear. You may tell them, oh, be kind. Oh, listen, kindness is good. Let me just tell you, kindness is good. But when they see it in action, that's what they need. A sermon that they see. So, how do we demonstrate kindness? Well, let's begin by thinking about some things that maybe are unkind, that maybe come out of our mouth at times in our own home. And I think about two things. I think about the way we deal with our husbands, the way we interact with our spouses. Are we kind with our spouse? Do we give him encouragement? The word encourage means to give strength. The root word cur comes from the Latin word heart. To give strength to the heart. To feed someone's soul. Let us consider the power of an encouraging word. There used to be a song, accentuate the positive, eliminate the negative. As we build on people's better qualities, some of the negatives will take care of themselves. But what is our tendency? Our tendency, and and psychologists say, generally given any situation or any person, we tend to look toward the negative. We have to be deliberate about looking for the positive. And looking for the positive in our spouses and looking for the positives in our children. I never saw this more clearly than in a letter that was reprinted in Dear Abby. It was a letter reprinted many years ago. And it was written by a junior high math teacher. Now, I used to be a junior high math teacher, so I was kind of interested in what she had to say. I started thinking, okay, can I relate to this teacher? And sure enough, I could. (laughs) Because she said she was teaching her class one day, and the kids just weren't getting it. (laughs) They were actually being kind of angry and unkind to one another. So the teacher said, all right, everybody, get out a blank piece of paper and a pencil. I want you to write down everybody's name on the left-hand side of the paper. Well, the kids obeyed. They began writing out every child's name in the classroom. And then she said, 
Alright, I want you to write down the nicest thing you can think about them. I guess she was at a desperate moment. She thought, this is the only thing we can do. So she had them write down the nicest thing she could think, they could think about, about every child in the class. Actually, she noticed that their spirits were a little bit more jovial, a little more uplifted as, as they were working on the assignment. Which is a general principle in life. When we are lifting up others, we ourselves are uplifted. Always. When we are building up, we feel better. When we are tearing down, we die a little inside. Build up. And so that assignment, actually, she noticed they were kind of happy. They were leaving that day, and she took up the assignment. This is before computers, so here she was. She took those uh, things that the kids wrote, and she took blank pieces of paper and put every child's name at the top of the page. And she wrote the, all the kind things that were said about them. So that on Monday morning, she was able to give them the assignment from that day. She was able to, to give them all the nice things that were said about them. She heard things, comments like, gee, wow, I feel great. I, she saw smiles. She, she could tell that it meant something to them. But not much was said about the assignment days later, but years later, this same teacher was invited to the funeral of the untimely death of one of the students in that class. And as she went to the funeral, the parents pulled her over and said, listen, we have something we want to talk to you about and show you. Uh, could you meet us at our home after the funeral? And so she graciously accepted the invitation and she went to their home after the funeral and the parents pulled her aside and they said, we want to show you what was found on our son when he was killed in Vietnam. And they pulled out a crumpled up piece of paper and they showed it to the teacher and the teacher recognized it immediately as the assignment from that day. Other students from that class overheard the exchange and joined into the conversation. One said, mine's in my top desk drawer at home. Another said, mine's in my wedding album. And another began to sheepishly pull out his wallet and said, Mine's right here. It was then that the teacher had to step over and cry, recognizing the power of an encouraging word. The power of a kind word. It cost so little, and yet the effect was so long-lasting. Our spouses need to hear kind words. They've been beat up all day at work. They've experienced tough things. They've been beat up in different ways in society. They need to hear some kind words. The person at the checkout stand needs to hear a kind word. And as your child observes you saying something kind, they learn kindness. Your child needs to hear a good, encouraging word. Psychologists say that for every one negative our kids hear, they need to hear ten positives. I have no idea how they come, came up with that statistic. I'm not even sure. I, I have no idea. But, boy, if you do the math, you think about it. Just once on the playground to hear, you can't kick the ball. And then they go in and they get a B or a C on their math exam that they thought they were going to get an A. And... 
They're beat up already. They need 20 positives right there just to make up for those two negatives. Oh my. Our kids' best qualities, our husbands' best qualities grow and grow when we feed them the delicious morsels of encouraging words. Let us be givers of good words. Let us dose it out in large portions. I'm not saying superficial flattery. I'm not saying fake flattery. I'm talking about sincere, specific courage to the heart. Strength to their hearts. Oh, honey, I saw that you were so kind to that little boy on the playground today. Mommy's so proud of you. Oh, I'm so proud of you. You showed such patience while we looked for your brother's tennis shoe today. Thank you. Good for you. You did not lose it at the checkout line today. And I am so proud of you. That's talking to yourself there, okay? (laughs) Maybe your child is good too. (laughs) Be kind to yourself as well. Give yourself kind words. Stop beating yourself up in your brain. It's hard. Don't compare yourself with others. Often that's when you tend to beat yourself up. I found the best cure from beating yourself up is to put your eyes off of yourself and onto the Lord. Because whenever we tend to look for what's good, we begin to speak kindly. And so begin turning your eyes upward and thanking the Lord for the good things He's brought in your life. And thank the Lord for the good things in your husband and in your kids. So, kindness versus cruelty, encouragement versus discouragement. Let's be deliberate about moving forward with kindness. Let's be deliberate about asking the Lord every day, Father, you are kind. Father, would you pour your kindness through me? Often we think of God standing up there so cruelly looking at us going, Oh, she's screwing up again. But that's not our Father. Our Father is gracious and kind, full of compassion. How many of you have a little toddler right now who's who's been able to pull up and has started walking? How many? Anybody in here? Okay. All right. All right. So if you're not there, you're going to be there in a little bit. But as you do, you begin, as they begin to walk, you you watch them. It's a process. And as as you watch them, at first, at first they pull up. They pull up on the, uh, on the coffee table. And there you go. Oh, oh, oh. They're getting, they're, they're, they're standing up. Oh, oh. You get so excited. You call your husband. Oh, so excited. Oh. Oh, and then and then you start seeing they're about to leave the coffee table and they are about to take those first steps and oh it's so exciting you just so oh, you can't wait to call everybody take pictures of your iPhone oh my word this is the big day this is the big day and as they first start to take their first step there you are there you are standing there going come on how hard is it to walk do it just do it are you stumbling again this is so not a big deal. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. Pretty sure you're standing there going, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. All right, I'm with you. I got you. 
want you to picture your Heavenly Father. If you, being just a human mom, have such graciousness toward your little stumbler, how much more does our Heavenly Father have love and compassion toward us as we stumble and as we seek Him and as we look to Him and say, Help, Father, help. Ah, His arms are open wide. Say, Come, come, come to me. Psalms reminds us the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will not fall, for He holds them by the hand. I want you to picture your Heavenly Father holding you by the hand, and His hand is kind and gracious, and He is able to help you be kind as well. And so our second bubble, we look at our second bubble there and it says complaining versus contentment. I would have to add to what comes out of our mouths as moms, complaining and possibly anxiety, worries, anxiousness. The two really do go hand in hand. Often we complain because we are worried about something. It's interesting, in Philippians, both worry and complaining are two areas that Paul wrote and said, don't do it at all. He said, do everything without complaining or arguing. Really? Did he really mean that? And yet he was writing as a prisoner, himself as a prisoner chained to a guard. Do everything without complaining or arguing. And then later in that same letter to the Philippians, he said, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. Oh, and he did say, with thanksgiving, in the midst of our complaining and our worries, I want to encourage you to turn it upward, to thank the Lord. I want you to know that when my kids were young and they were in school and we were going through school and this will happen, this will happen. I know you're not there yet, but this will happen. You hear about that teacher, the teacher that nobody wants. Oh, that's the bad teacher. Nobody wants. Try and get out of that class. Do everything you can to let the administration know that you don't want that teacher. Because that's the bad teacher. Well, I actually served on the board of the school and I decided, you know, I could use my clout, you know, about the bad teacher. But instead, I thought, no, no, I'm not going to complain and I'm not going to worry. I'm going to pray because I know that that teacher is not all bad. It's the impression, but I know she's not all bad. She wouldn't still be there. And so, I began praying, Father, Father, what do you want for my daughter? And Father, I understand that if you want her in that class, I know you have something you want to teach her from that teacher. (laughs) 
And so I'm entrusting this to you. And while everybody else was running to the principal trying to fix it themselves or complaining, I I decided, no, for this one time, for the first time in my life, I'm going to not be anxious. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to give it over to the Lord and trust Him. And every time I did worry, I turned it. I turned it into prayer. Well, my daughter did get that teacher. And I want you to know, I... I didn't smile about it. I was like, oh, crumb. (laughs) Well, okay. But I turned it back again. I did not complain. Instead, I said, okay, Father, then I'm trusting you. I believe you have something for my daughter in this class. Well, I wish I could tell you that the year just started off so great and everything was perfect. The teacher had totally transformed and she was so kind and loving and wonderful. Not... Not so much, really. She, she was just really what other people had said as far as, you know, just she had a little bit rough personality. About halfway through the school year, she pulled the kids together and she said, Kids, I need to talk to you. And she broke down and cried with the class and she said, I need to apologize. I'm sorry. I have not been the person I want to be. I am going through, and she shared just a few things that she was going through. And in that process, the kids learned compassion. They learned about what it looks like to ask for forgiveness and to understand another human being. They also learned that not everybody is perfect. We are not in always the perfect situation. That's not going to be in school, and that's not going to be in when we go to college, and it's not going to be when we get a job. We're never going to find the perfect situation. So let's grow up now. Let's understand that it's okay to be in a few rough situations because that's how we grow. That's how we mature. And that's how we keep turning it over to the Lord. Instead of worrying, we turn it over. Now, I'm not saying there's no room to offer a a constructive criticism. Certainly, wisely, carefully, prayerfully, we, we offer wise criticism when it's necessary. But don't do it until you've prayed and asked the Lord, what am I supposed to do here? What do you have me to do here? Is this okay for my child? Is this all right? Then I'll just stay here and watch what you do. My daughter looks back and as at that year and realizes that was a tremendous year. She learned so much about human humanity in that year. It was a great year. And I'm glad that I didn't thwart her opportunity to learn, to grow through difficulty. And so we pray. Complaining can come so easily. I want you to know that I just recently wrote a book on Philippians. And so I knew it well. And I was actually working on the book at a time. Uh, my husband and I were uh, having dinner. And, and uh, at dinner, I knew I had to get right back to work after dinner. And as we're at dinner, Kurt said to me, Carol, um, those boxes that you've had sitting there uh, for weeks now, I really need you to just go ahead and unpack those uh, tonight. Uh, because, uh, and they were just my boxes of books that I had, they had been delivered and I needed to, to put them away. And they'd been sitting there for a while, I admit. Yes. Huh. 
Well, of course, me being the positive wife that I am, I said, I can't do that. Now, do you not know how much work I have? I not only have to finish this chapter tonight, but I have to speak to you tomorrow. I, I can't do this. And I complain. I let him know how very difficult my life is. So, I got back to work. I did not do those books. And I got back to work right there. Philippians 2. Oddly, as the Lord had it, that was right where I was writing at the time. And it was exactly on the verse, do everything without complaining and arguing. So... I thought, okay, if I'm going to be obedient, if I'm going to write truthfully, the first thing I need to do is go and load those books. I went and unloaded the books, and it took all of five minutes. (laughs) It took more energy for me to argue and complain than it did to unload those books. I felt so much better after I'd unloaded those books. I knew that they needed to be unloaded for a while. I, I felt so much better when I did it. I felt so much worse about myself after I had complained and argued. And I do want you to know I did go and apologize too. (laughs) Because I realized, oh, conviction. Oh, I realized how easy it is for complaining to just pour out of us. So I want to encourage you, don't do what I did. (laughs) I want to encourage you. So first of all, when you have an opportunity to complain, consider first of all, well, wait a minute, how bad would it be if I actually did do this? How, actually, how, how bad is it really? Am I just complaining just because I'm tired or just because I want to? Because it's the easy thing to do, I think. It really does take more energy to complain. And then maybe I need to pray about this before I start to complain. Because really, if I'm going to do everything without complaining, then I need to turn it into constructive criticism, at least, instead of complaining. I need to guard and stop. So, Father, I take this to you. What's worth talking about? What's worth bringing up? You know what I'm finding a lot? As I'm growing older, and after I wrote that book, it's actually, uh, actually finding there's really a lot that is not worth complaining about. So pay attention to the next time you want to complain and recognize, maybe it's not worth it. Very quickly, I want to move on. Final bubble there. Anger versus loving discipline. I know we all want to do the loving discipline thing, but now and then, that little toddler, that little trying two-year-old <laughs> stretches us. We even talked about it this morning in your discussion time about what is it that makes you lose it. And uh, if you haven't lost it yet, you possibly will. Because you're being stretched like you never have been before. You can't even go to the bathroom by yourself. (laughs) I like to say that I have become a better woman because I am a mother. Because motherhood... Out the selfishness in my life. It under duress. It pulled out my self-centeredness and helped me to really live a lot more selflessly and to realize my time is not my own. And as that's being eked out of me, it's purely painful sometimes, and it really erupts into anger. 
I used to look and say, I will never be angry at my kids. I used to look at other people yell at their kids, and I will never be angry at mine like that. And then I had my own kids. And I recognized, oh, it happens. I was the calm one. I do want you to know, I have always been a delightful, calm person. Until those kids started disobeying me. Never forget the time that I'd hired a babysitter so that I could wrap all the Christmas presents. Got them all wrapped, got them all set away in the spare room. And I went down, started cooking, said goodbye to the, the babysitter. And I was cooking. And I thought, gosh, the kids are playing so delightfully. Isn't this great? And I went upstairs and ah, every gift was unwrapped. These little two and three year olds, oh my word, they were having a great time. Ah, opportunity, opportunity to lose it. Oh, I want to give you just a little four letter word, four letter word to help you in those moments. Stop. Stop. S-T-O-P. Stop. S-T-O-P. S. If you could just remember stop when you're about to lose it and consider these four things. And I'm talking about with your husband as well. Okay. Stop. S stands for step away from the situation. Step away from the heat of the situation. Your kids are driving you nuts. Just step into the other room for just a moment. You may need to even just open the door and step outside and get a little sunshine or fresh air. If you're at the mall, do not leave your kids alone. Okay? But even there, you may want to just turn just for a moment and just redirect. If you are driving, then just think of a happy place. Go somewhere else in your mind. T stands for take several deep, calming breaths. And I mean slowly. Fill your lungs with some deep, calming breaths. In fact, do that right now. Just, just fill your lungs. Just breathe in through your nose. Very deep breath. Hold it for four seconds. And then breathe slowly through your mouth. What that does is it physically relaxes your body. It's a physical way to relax your body. So do that several times. Take several deep, calming breaths. O stands for objectively look at the situation. At this point, you have to engage your brain. When you're about to lose it, your brain has left you. Your brain is filled with adrenaline, and you are not thinking. So, you have to deliberately say, wait a minute, I've got to objectively look at the situation. Am I hormonal? Is this that time of month? Am I about to lose it with my husband or the kids because of something going on inside of me? I also recognize for myself personally, when I objectively looked at the situation, that sometimes I was about to lose it because I was hungry. I just hadn't eaten, and when a hungry Carol is not a nice Carol. A tired Carol is not a nice Carol. And so sometimes when I objectively looked at the situation, I realized that I was tired or hungry, and I was about to let loose on whoever. 
It might be that they're tired and hungry. Maybe you've overworked them and they're tired and hungry and you've pulled them and taken them way too far. And so they're losing it. And so you need to have a little extra dose of grace recognizing that you've pulled them a little bit too much. You've done one too, five too many errands that day. <laughs> Objectively look at the situation. Is this an opportunity to teach and train my child? then a scream is not going to teach and train them. Loving discipline will teach and train them. So I must objectively look at what is that loving discipline. Discipline means teaching. So if I'm going to teach them a scream, all a scream will do is teach them how to scream and to teach them that this is the way we get things done. But if I objectively look at it and think, now what do I want them to learn through this situation? If it's to share, then I I used to do is get a little timer and real quickly say, okay, uh, I flip a coin, you get the, the toy first, I'm setting the timer for five minutes, and then you get it. Done. And it's amazing how nobody wants the toy after five minutes anyway. It's just that they both want it at the same time. So, objectively look at the situation. Look at a way, what is the way to discipline? And I'm not here to talk about discipline. I'm here to talk about the mouth. So, you'll have to have Jody Capehart come in and talk about discipline. Or somebody else come in and talk about discipline. I, I'm sorry, I, I will. I could talk about it another time, but we don't have time for me to do that. And so, uh, anyway, um, I, I want us to recognize that we have to objectively look and say there are opportunities to love and discipline, loving discipline instead of the anger. P stands for pray. Pray. In that moment, you are not alone. In that moment, you look to Him. Get your eyes off of the situation. You've already stepped away from it. You've taken several deep breaths. You're objectively looking at the situation and looking at the root cause and looking at, okay, loving discipline. And maybe you don't even know what that loving discipline looks, looks like. I have on many, many occasions said, Father, I do not know. I have no idea what to do in this situation. And you know, he brings to mind wisdom. Wisdom on what to do, what makes sense in this situation. So look to Him. Pray. Maybe He will bring back a reminder of something you learned years ago. Maybe He will bring back a reminder. Oh, I should call Sherry. She knows exactly what to do in this situation. Or maybe He will show you something new and creative. I'm not saying that this works in only my life, although it has. But I've seen it work in my friends' lives as well. As they ask the Father, Father, I need help here. He directs. He brings to mind new and creative ways. Look to Him. Yes, read about discipline, but look to Him and teach to the child's heart. One of my favorite books about discipline is Shepherding a Child's Heart. So I'll throw that one out as a possibility. Shepherding a Child's Heart by Tripp. Uh, I always get mixed up. Ted, because Paul wrote other ones. So, okay, yeah, I always get mixed up. Okay, good. All right, now, I want to move on quickly because our time is short. Where's my timekeeper? How, how much time do I have? <laughs> 
Okay, all right, all right, because we've got to move on to the practical solutions or, ah! <laughs> so, don't want to leave you with blanks there, okay? So, as we look at practical solutions, as we look, we recognize the different tender areas, the different arenas that are challenging for us as moms, and recognize that we are not alone. I want to give us three practical solutions that I would encourage you to begin implementing today in your own home and in your own life. The first one is saturate yourself with Scripture. Saturate yourself with Scripture. I like to even put little things around my house that remind me, that remind me of His Word. I like to read His Word and and when I see a nugget of truth that I need, maybe even some of those if, dealing with a specific area. To, to put little cards around my house reminding me my kids need to see that Scripture is my key. Scripture is what helps me. I bought this little thing and he hasn't grown very much but he did start off really small it's a it's a uh, well he's turned over now but it's a happy face it's a happy face that uh, you put in water and it grows it says within 72 hours it will actually grow to be like this big and uh, it's all because it soaks up the water it's a sponge and, and it starts off small and it, it, it really comes on a card that says grow your own happy face okay now, I want you to just think about that as an example. It's still growing. It takes about 72 hours. I just put it in this morning. So it's, it's got a ways to grow. But as it does, I think about saturating, soaking up God's Word. Allowing it to be so a part of your life that it overflows. It's what overflows in your life. You know it so well that that's what pours out of you when you have a situation with your child. And when your child comes to you and says, I don't know what to do. And then you say, I don't either, but let's pray. Because Scripture tells us, don't be angry anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So let's thank the Lord. Let's thank the Lord for this situation because it's drawing us to Him. Oh, knowing God's Word. Every morning, I there are certain scriptures that I have chosen to memorize that I say every morning. I wait patiently for God, for my hope is in Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor come from God alone. He is my refuge, a rock where no enemy can reach me. Oh, my people, trust in Him at all times. Pour out your heart to Him, for God is our refuge. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me down the right paths, bringing honor to His name. Even when I walk through the darkest valleys, I will not be afraid, for You are close beside me. Your rod and Your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a place for me in the presence of my enemies. 
You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the Lord's house forever. Scripture that I go over every day, every day in my mind to remind myself, hey, if at 50 I can do this, you can do it. Your minds are young and fresh. You can do this. You can do it. Just one verse at a time. And if you think, oh, but I can't. No, you can. If a 50-year-old can, I can. I'm not that smart. You're much smarter than me. I want to encourage you to grab some scripture that becomes your own. So that you saturate. That you become a big happy face. That you saturate your life, your heart, your mind, your being with His Word. I want to encourage you to spend time daily. Even if it's with a little child at your side. As they watch you grow in His Word. As they see you love His Word. They will love His Word. And His Word will become your words. And they will learn to grow. Second second block there at the bottom there. Pray without ceasing. When I was a kid at First Baptist Church growing up, we memorized lots of scripture. And every year we got stars by our name for, for memorizing scripture. So I always memorized Jesus wept and pray without ceasing. Those are my two favorite verses. Every year got to start by my name. I didn't even understand what ceasing meant. I just pray, I just said it because it was an easy scripture to memorize. Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. Never stop praying. Always pray. Always pray throughout your day. You are not alone. Always pray. Start your morning off. Start your morning off. Even if you have little ones by your side. Oh, Father, today is your day. Father, I give this day to you. I know I am not alone. One thing I've started a habit of doing is I've started a habit of writing in a journal every morning five things. Five things that I'm thankful for. I get my cup of coffee and I write down. I sit there and write five things. And I always include one thing about my husband that I am thankful for. And I, I write what, anything that I can count a blessing from the last 24 hours. Because I'm doing it every day, so every 24 hours is something new. I never stop at five. There's always something more to thank him about. But it turns my eyes toward looking at what's good. And it turns my eyes to the blessings that he has given us. And it makes me focus on different things. So that my words are focused on different things. My words begin in the morning with my conversation with the Lord. As I'm listening to Him and as I'm praying to Him and as I'm looking to Him and as praising Him, praise for Him just overflows in my daily life. And so it must begin by a daily practice. Praying. As a high schooler, I remember I made a little box. I made a little box and it was my little prayer box. And whenever I wanted to worry or complain, I wrote it down as a prayer and put it in here. It was just that physical way of having a place to put it to say, I've done it. I've given that over to the Lord. I'm not going to worry about that. It's His. And every time it crop up in my mind, it's his. It's his. I've given it to him. So, 
giving your worries and your complaints, dumping it there to Him. Finally, finally, be deliberate about encouragement. Choose every day. Challenge yourself every day to look for some way to give a delicious morsel to your children and to your husband. How about this? Shock your husband today. Do it. Just do it. Shock your husband by giving him a good, hearty dose of encouragement. Just do it. It'll change the way you see things. It'll change the way you relate to each other. Let me tell you, he'll start doing it back to you. You start it. You start the process. Be an encouragement to him. Give him something good. And you know what? Can I just throw this out? A smile speaks a thousand words. Smile at your husband. Smile at your kids. Give them the gift of a smile. I know you don't necessarily think about it or feel like it. But it will lift them up. One time I asked my husband, I said, What is it that you need when you come home from a work-weary day? I don't know why I asked that. But he said, you know, Carol, when I come home, I need you to smile and give me an upbeat attitude. It's like you're kidding. That's so much easier than cleaning the house or having having a meal on the table. Okay. (laughs) So I started greeting him with a smile and an upbeat attitude. I noticed a huge change in him. I noticed he started coming home with a smile. Maybe because he knew he wasn't going to be greeted with problems and complaints. He started coming home earlier. That was not the result I was looking for. (laughs) He started. It started permeating the home. And so I encourage you, give good words. Give it through your smile. Give it through your tongue. I close with this example. One time my husband and I had the rare opportunity to go to Europe. Me being the positive wife that I am, talked him into bringing the kids along. They were 11 and 12 at the time. It just kind of worked okay. And so as we did, I taught them about all the things they were going to see. One of them was Eiffel Tower. And as we touched down our plane in Paris, their noses were to the window. Where's the Eiffel Tower? Oh, there it is, there it is. So excited, so excited. Everywhere we went in Paris, they're looking for the Eiffel Tower. Oh, where is it? There it is. Oh, 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 there it is. Even when we got to London, they got up to the hotel room, parted the curtains, looked. I think we can see the Eiffel Tower from here. There it is. Well, they couldn't. But they were looking for it. They were going to find it every time. What are the Eiffel Towers in your kids' lives? In your husband's life? God, be looking for them. Looking for what's good looking for what's good, and seizing the opportunity to give a word of encouragement, to build up and guard against tearing down. Thanks for allowing me to share with you today, and I don't know if we have time for questions. Do we? Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. So encouraging. Um, any questions? We've got about eight minutes. Advice on practical problems, frustration. 
somebody once told me a long time ago, oh, sorry, um, and I've always kept this in mind, that if you're, when you compare, like, if you're kinder to strangers than you are to the people closest to you in your life, which is usually, like, your mother and your husband, I always compare that. Like, am I kinder to, like, a new friend or a stranger than to my own mother or husband? And usually we're the meanest to them, and so that's, I've always kept that in my mind as just, like, that comparison. I need to treat them as kind as I would a stranger or a new friend, so, anyway, that helped me. As I was listening to you, Carol, it made me think, um, I remember at the stage when you have little ones and you're exhausted, and the last thing you're really thinking about doing is dishing out um, encouragement to people who haven't been in your shoes all day. So what would you say to these women when they're thinking like, right, I'm the one who needs encouragement here, not, I don't need to be the one dishing it out. What would you say to encourage them in that regard? I would say a couple of things. First of all, encouragement, when you are encouraging others, it really does uplift your spirits. You do feel better about yourself. In fact, do you know that psychologists now say that when you smile, you actually increase the serotonin level in your brain. That's the happy hormone in your brain. You smile because you are lifting up somebody else. Now, when I say smile, I'm not saying be fake. I'm not saying to be fake. But I am saying choose to give it as a gift when you can. But when you lift up others, you are energized. I know you think you don't have the energy to do it. But do it and the feeling will will follow. So I will encourage you to just try it. Experiment with that and see if you don't feel more energetic by lifting somebody up. When you're thinking in your mind, I need to tell them everything that happened today. I mean, really, literally, there was one time when I was so frustrated and I thought, he does not know how how my day is. I'm going to write down all the things I do all day long so he knows everything I do. And so I started writing down all the things. I I got to about ten things and I couldn't write them down anymore. There were so many things. and I thought It was wearing me out. It was wearing me out thinking about how bad this and this and this is. But you know what? When I changed my thinking to think, wait a minute now, I know I've had a hard day, yeah, and life is tough, but life's tough for him too, it's not like he hadn't had a hard day. So let me think about him and think about what I can do to encourage him or others, but also the more I get my eyes off of my stuff, it doesn't seem so bad. The more I get my eyes onto how can I lift up others, I actually feel good. I'm telling you this. I want you to try it and see that it works. It really does work. The more positive you are, the more you bless other people, and it permeates your home. Likewise, complaining permeates your home. You don't want to raise a little complainer, do you? They'll learn learn it from you. If you're seeing everything awful, that's what they will. Well, you don't want that. I will say this, too. I noticed that growing up in... in, uh, Watching my kids, especially in junior high, I noticed that the gossiping moms had gossiping kids. I thought, well, that's strange. The gossiping moms have gossiping kids. I'm pretty sure that the moms did not sit sit their daughters down and say, honey, now here's how you gossip. You take a little story that's not, you know, and then take it and blow it full-blown and add some assumptions and non-truths to it, and there you go. No. They learned by watching their moms in action. 
So think, think, what, what do I want my daughter to be when she grows up? What do I want my son to be? Do I want him to be a complainer or one who spreads stories or one who's a downer? Or do I want him to be an uplifter? Well, he has to see it from my example. So I have to choose whether to what I'm going to do. Life is hard. It is hard. And I know that there's, there's certain things in your day that are absolutely awful. How about this? Start off by greeting and encouraging, and then later, if it seems necessary to share what you have been challenged with during the day, then save it till later. But don't greet your husband with it, and don't do it in a way, don't do it in a tone of, you just don't know how hard my day has been. Do it in a way with, oh, honey, I thought I'd share this with you after you've prayed about it. Oh, honey, I thought I'd share with you, this is a real challenge to me today. Just let them know your challenges, yes. But do it in a healthy way, not in a needy, complainy way. It's all in how you say it. <laughs> uh, oh, wait. Sorry. We have to get this uh, all recorded, so I have to run around with the mic. I grew up in a household with a very encouraging mom, so I totally get a lot of the stuff that you're saying. Um, and I'm probably going to be the same way, but my husband came from a totally different house of being very critical, and he actually sees um, too much encouragement as a bad thing, like pandering them and loading them up with too much um, self-confidence, you know, make them prideful. And he comes from a family where everybody, and it's like humility is emphasized. And so do you think it's possible to encourage too much? You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yes. I, I think um, we want to be very guarded against uh, uh, flattery and insincerity. We also, though, want that there is a healthy balance, and we need to be realistic, and we want to teach our kids to be realistic. Don't lie to them. Don't tell them they were, did a great job if they didn't even. But look for what they did do It was good. Like, for instance, I'll never forget my daughter's piano recital that she really did not do a good job. <laughs> what do you do with that? Well, she did show a lot of courage in getting up there. I'm telling you, I can give her that. <laughs> and so that's what I built her up on. And I said, you know, really, it took a lot of courage to get on that stage. I, I just, I really admire you for that. And, and you know, just be truthful, be honest, be realistic. But we have to guard against tearing down. We can be, and I do want to address this, we can be generation changers. If you grew up with a very negative mom or a very difficult uh, uh, condemning or judgmental dad, um, you can be a game changer. With God's strength and power, you are not alone. And so remember that there are things that he can, God can use with you to start a new generation of building positive. But I don't think your husband is wrong. I don't, humility, in its truest sense, and, and, and listen, Philippians talks a lot about humility. That same place where it talks about do not complain and argue, right before that, it talks about humility. And true humility is looking at God, Looking at God and saying, thank you, Lord, for all you've given me. I recognize it is all from you. I want to honor and glorify you. And true humility is looking at others and building them up, lifting them up. 
So it's kindness. It's thoughtfulness. It's building other people up and not thinking about yourself. If I ever have to ask, am I being humble enough? Am I being humble enough? I'm, I'm asking the wrong question because my eyes are on me. Eyes are off me. Well, when we are building up, when we are building and, 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 and caring for the needs of others, that's when we are really, truly building humility and, and living humility. So... When I look at my kids, if I, the best thing I can do is build them up in areas like, oh, honey, I noticed you were so kind. Look for the qualities. Look for the fruit of the Spirit. And when you see it, seize that opportunity to say, I see, I see that Christ-like example in you. How beautiful. And you're building them up and pointing them to the Lord and saying, isn't God good to give you that gift? So, so keep, it's, all, it's always pointing to him and always pointing to how we can lift up others. And that's how all of our words should be. And they will pick that up, I think. So Amen. your husband's not wrong. I'm just, yeah. I'm just, yeah. Um, you know, also, just real quick, wanted to announce that if you've been encouraged today and you want more of Carol, um, her books are on sale on the tables right outside. So I know some of you guys are having to step out early, so I wanted to announce that. Um, I think we've got time for one more quick one. Hi. My daughter's 21 months. I know a lot of us have kind of younger kids that we're kind of just now coming into the discipline and positive reinforcement and then being able to kind of understand. But I guess my question is, I I have a tough time. I mean, I, I, I try to positively reinforce her, and when she does get in trouble, I try to explain to her, and I know she doesn't necessarily understand, but I try to remain positive, and I feel like sometimes she doesn't, Respond unless I get angry and put her in timeout, and then she just has a meltdown, and I feel awful about it. So <laughs> I, I guess I mean, how how did you personally? How do you kind of um, use positive? You know, how how can you remain positive and still? discipline. I mean, yeah, I and, and, I, and, and you know, even though I wrote the Power of Positive Mom, I, I, positive discipline, I'm not a big proponent of necessarily positive discipline. I'm a proponent of loving discipline. And so, and, and I think there, in books, there's a little bit of a difference there as far as uh, some say, oh, just, just do it, say only the positive. No, I think we need to identify what they're doing wrong, help them understand that we shall not do that, and then think of a wise discipline to to follow. Now, what we don't want it to ever, we want to guard against it escalating to the point where they only obey when we when we uh, are angry. And this happens in every home. You're not alone. I mean, this is this happens everywhere. It, 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 they come to the point where, okay, they'll only listen when I, yes, I've got it, yes, I've got it, you know. Well, so we have to kind of retrain them and help them recognize that it is, it, you're not going to yell. That, that uh, And that's all I'm saying when I say anger versus loving discipline discipline is let's discipline wisely but it, let's let's discipline without the again escalating to the point where i have to yell now there's different reasons for different ways to deal with different situations. But generally speaking, and, and certainly this is a whole topic in itself, and I, I'm, I wouldn't call myself the expert in it, but I, I, but I do have two wonderful girls. Yeah, so they, I, I am thankful for how they turned out. You know. But um, I, um, I would say that the, one of the main things is, is understanding, getting down to their level and saying, Mommy will not allow this to go on. Now, you may not do this anymore. I am putting you in your room, and you will stay there until 
you know, and, and you might set the timer, you might, and the timer was always the best thing for me for working through sibling rivalries, that, that uh, you, you might uh, figure out what, what you want to do, and it might be, uh, you know, using uh, the, the spoon or whatever, you know, but what, whatever, uh, I, I'm not going to go through and tell you how to discipline in every situation, but I think the most important thing is to get yourself calm first by using the stop method, and then uh, looking at them in the eye, even at that early age and making sure they understand that I'm not going to yell but I am going to discipline <laughs> and there will be punishment and there are consequences when we do wrong. Here's what you did wrong this is why we don't do it and you're going to this. Okay. Wonderful. Alright we've got a couple minutes you guys can finish all the food and um, go get your kiddos so thank you again Carol. Thank you. Thank you.